0: And let's pray together, please. Father, tonight, as we meet, uh, as we sing and have sung and and as we open your word now, we want to be aware that it is you who are who is our audience. Uh, We're not here to have ourselves entertained, we're here to glorify you first and foremost, but we pray that in glorifying you through the music and now hopefully through the study of your word, we do pray that you would help us to see how this glory of yours is of benefit to us. It is is practical for what we need, It, it is indeed the most important thing that we need. So we pray you'll make this time very profitable and that it would be a Uh, help as we break into groups and and talk through these things together. So we ask for your help, in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Please turn in your Bibles once again to the book of Galatians. This is where we've been now for a few weeks in trying to think about this theme of having eternal life and then, more specifically, knowing that we have eternal life, being assured of it. Last time we looked here, we were um, talking about and we were trying to define and then talk about the importance of defending and declaring the gospel. And I want tonight as we go into Galatians chapter 2, and by the way, if you're not used to looking at a Bible, maybe you're borrowing one from this room, uh, you can find Galatians 2 on page 832. Page 832, so that might help some of you to find the passage, Um, if you're using a a different Bible, there's a table of contents in the front there that might be helpful. There's a difference between being driven by the gospel, like having it be our driving force, and then just being associated with the gospel. If, If we were only associated with the gospel, like if it was just something that we gave um, say, limited attention to. Like, we're fine for it to be our identity, but but maybe that's all it is, is just like an, an outward identity. If 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 that was all it was, if we were only associated with the gospel, we might have some of these characteristics. Um, have, have you ever known somebody, or maybe, maybe you are or have been this person, but someone who might claim to be a Christian, but they're not actually able to even explain what the gospel is? They don't really even seem to have any sort of understanding of, of what Christianity really is. I remember having a conversation with some folks one time, and uh, some teenagers actually, and uh, we, we were talking about beliefs and religion, and they claimed, they, they said, both of them said, well, we're Christians. And I said, okay, great. Tell me, tell me what it is exactly you believe about Christ and about the gospel. And they couldn't do it. They had no knowledge of of salvation, it seemed, or or why what it was that actually made them Christian. So I asked them, I said, Well what what is it what is it then that you that makes you a Christian? And their response basically was, Well, we're not anything else. Like we're not Muslim, we're not Hindu, we're not really atheists, you know, we're just like we're kind of just Christians because isn't that just what we would be if we're not anything else? Uh, you can even, by the way, and I saw I saw this recently too, you know you can even like on your social media, I saw this on somebody's Facebook page, you can select like religious preference or religious beliefs and you can put Christian on there just like you could select from any number of beliefs. And so I saw a, a Facebook profile recently where this guy, religious beliefs, said Christian, there was absolutely nothing in his Facebook posts that would make you think that he's a Christian. In fact, it would make you think the exact opposite this guy probably is not a believer at all, but because he can click Christianity from a box, that's apparently how he wants to be identified so do you, do you see the problem with that uh that's those are people those those are types of people and and I'm afraid sometimes we might fall into that category where we're fine saying things like. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian, or you might even say I believe the gospel, but it doesn't actually drive anything that we do. We're, just, we're happy to be associated with it, but it doesn't actually seem to be the driving force or factor for anything in our lives. Sometimes even, our, even whole churches can be like that, where, where everything that the church does is not really centered on God and the gospel at all. It's just centered on the people. It's very man-centered. Their preaching might be very man-centered. Uh, we we could tend to people can tend to live according to, you know, the pattern of the world, um, while just giving an outward claim. Yeah, I I follow Christ. So here's here's the problem with that. I think would be that if the gospel is true, if the gospel as it's defined in the Bible is true, and if Jesus really is our Lord and Savior, like those are not small titles; those are big, important titles. Jesus, to say Jesus is Lord and Savior means that those truths should drive how we live. So we're in Galatians 2 to kind of see how some of that, what some of that might actually look like. In Galatians 1, we saw that our hope of knowing that we have eternal life is based in what the gospel is. So the question for Galatians 2 is, well, what would it look like for the gospel to be the driving force of those who believe it? So the way to ask it maybe for yourself is, am I driven by the gospel or am I just associated with it? So, in your notes, we're going to look at five characteristics of Christians and churches that are driven by the gospel. What would it look like to be driven by the gospel? I think it would look something like this. I think probably we would have these five characteristics. So, let me give you the first one, and we'll, um, we'll read the passage um, that goes along with it. So, we're in chapter 2. Here's the first characteristic. Rehearsing the gospel to make sure that we are not running in vain. The first characteristic of, of a person or group of people driven by the gospel is that we would be rehearsing the gospel to make sure we're not running in vain. So at the end of Galatians chapter 1, Paul the writer talked about how he became a Christian, talked about how he became a believer. And he shared some of his own experience, some of his own uh, ministry, his life up to that point. Here's how he picks up in chapter 2 he says uh, in verse 1 then after 14 years so 14 year gap i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas taking titus along with me i went up because of a revelation and set before them before the church there though privately before those who seemed influential the gospel that i proclaim among the gentiles in order to make sure i was not running or had not run in vain all right, let's think about how this, how this happened for Paul and how it might happen for us. So, apparently, 14 years after he's converted, after he's become a Christian, he went to Jerusalem. He goes with two people. He's named Barnabas and Titus. And apparently, God revealed to him that he should go there. So, when he goes there, he's meeting with other apostles in the church there. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to meet with the church leaders. Apparently, if you go down to verse 9, so chapter 2, verse 9, you read the names of some of these people. James and Cephas and John. And Cephas is actually another uh, nickname, another name for Peter. All right, Peter and James and John. Do we know those names? Most of us probably do. Close followers of Jesus, close disciples and apostles of Jesus. These are the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. And Paul goes and he says he meets with those, when he talks about in verse 2, those who seemed influential. That's who he's talking about, Peter and James and John. All right, do we think Peter and James and John were probably influential in the church? I think so. And to Paul, he says, yes, they seemed influential to me. So he's there having a meeting with them. And what does he say he's doing? In verse 2, he says, "Uh, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, what does it mean to run in vain? What would he mean by that? Make sure I'm not proclaiming the gospel, doing any of this, running in vain. What would he mean by that? What, is, what does it mean to do something in vain? Like one of those hamster wheels. Like you run for hours, but like you're not going anywhere. Like a treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. Like to just, to just run aimlessly. Okay? Without purpose. Okay, to, 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 to engage in activity that's not actually going to accomplish what it looks like it should accomplish. Okay? I'm sorry? Guinea pig wheel. A guinea pig wheel? Yeah, same idea, right? Yeah, so so aimlessly, without purpose, he's, he's not wanting to proclaim the gospel in vain. If he was, remember in chapter 1, he made the big distinction between man's gospel and God's gospel? Okay, if he was proclaiming man's gospel or another gospel, that would be in vain, right? That would be aimlessly and purposefully, and actually it would be harmful, and he knew that. So he didn't want to do that, in vain. Now, what might this look like for you and I to set before one another the gospel, so that we had not, so that we, to make sure we are not running in vain? Imagine, imagine a scenario like this. Let's say uh, that the leaders of a church are interviewing someone who wants to join that church, or maybe someone even who wants to be a leader in that church. What kinds of questions are they going to ask? Like, what's what's going to be some of the content of their conversation? Okay, yeah, I want to make sure that you know the Lord. I want to make sure you know the gospel, right? I want to, I want to make sure that you can articulate to me what it is that it, it means to follow Christ and how you became a follower and what it looks like to keep following Him, right? They're rehearsing the gospel with one another. And guess what? If, if we get it wrong, we help people to understand it better, don't we? So so Paul wants to be sure. He's going before these guys who lived and walked with Jesus to say, here's what I'm preaching. Am I doing it right? Have I got the gospel right? And apparently he had. So this is important for us. If we're driven by the gospel, we'll want to make sure we get it right. So it's good for us to rehearse with one another. Hey, here's what I think the gospel is. Do you think I'm getting it right? That would be a healthy thing for us to do. So here's, that's one characteristic. Here's the second characteristic. Preserving the truth of the gospel. That's number two. The second characteristic would look like preserving the truth of the gospel. So let's, let's pick it up in verse three. He says, Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Okay, let's stop there. Preserving the truth of the gospel. Paul says that's why he, uh, why he didn't listen to some of these false brothers, why he only paid attention to others, okay? Let's ask this question. You might say, well, wh- why, is, why is that important? Isn't the gospel always preserved? Isn't the gospel always preserved? Yes. yes, it is. Okay, God always God's truth is eternal, right? He's always going to allow His truth to endure. Okay, so why would we need to do it? Well, here's here's probably why I think. Even though God's truth endures over the course of time and really everywhere in the world, wouldn't we want to make sure? Don't we sort of bear some responsibility for making sure that the truth of the gospel is preserved in this place? Like in our church, in our circles, okay, uh, it it might mean that to preserve the truth of the gospel, we might have to defend it against false variations of it. Okay, someone might come in speaking a false gospel. We want to preserve the truth by defending what would be wrong with a false gospel. So there's a couple of things that we would have to fight. Against, so in your notes, write these subpoints. We might have to preserve the truth of the gospel against legalism. Against legalism. Now, write that word in, legalism, and then let's define it. What do you What do you understand legalism to mean? Matter, it could be that rules. rules. Okay, so like, is it is it wrong to obey rules? Is it wrong to have dogmatic beliefs? Not always. Not always. Okay, so what, so what exactly do we mean? Why would legalism be something we would have to actually fight against? Legalism is, is, is more like requiring something more strict than what Scripture requires. Requiring and, and making uh, commands that Scripture doesn't actually require or command. Um, here's how we avoid it, okay? You've got, I think, some points even under that, all right? A couple of ways that are described here in this passage. We would want to avoid legalism by not forcing cultural standards on outsiders or maybe former outsiders. All right, let me explain how this happened in this passage. So Titus is brought in. What, who does it say? Titus was a, in verse 3, even Titus who was a, he was, he was a Greek, okay? He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Uh, They didn't require him to be circumcised. He was not forced to be circumcised, okay? Circumcision was the mark in the Old Testament that God required to be on his people that would set them apart physically. They didn't require Titus to bear that mark. They, They debated about it. If you want to read about the debate about this, you can go to Acts 15. You could read about that. That might be some good homework for you. All right, if they required Titus, if they said, okay, you can come to Christ, but you also have to obey this law that Jesus didn't actually command, if they said, you've got to do this extra work plus believe in Christ, would Titus actually just be saved by faith? No, he would be saved by his works, right? So, there would be requiring Titus more than Jesus required, more than Scripture required. You see that? Now, we have to be careful to also require things of people that Scripture doesn't require. Okay? If we were to tell somebody, um, hey, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to change the way that you dress. If you're going to come to our church, you have to dress a certain way. Would that be requiring something of them that Scripture doesn't require? Yeah. We're saying you have to look a certain way to believe in Christ scripture doesn't require that does it if we say that you have to be from a certain you have to have a certain background well scripture doesn't require that god saves people from all kinds of background you see how sometimes we can force rules onto people that scripture doesn't require that's what we're talking about we don't want to we don't want to do that we want to avoid that okay now here's a second way we would avoid legalism by not submitting to those who attempt to enslave those who have been set free in Christ. We don't want to submit. So if the first point is we don't want to force rules upon people that Scripture doesn't require, the second rule is we don't want to submit to rules that other people might require of us. So if we're somehow deceived, like, okay, well, I've, I've got to, if I'm going to come to Christ, I've got to look this way, uh, talk this way, sound this way, okay, um, you know, read this version of the Bible, whatever it might be, okay, if we're submitting to that, then we ourselves are being deceived, okay? So we want to make sure that we're clear on what the gospel is. So we know what it requires and what it, and what it doesn't. So don't, don't compromise your convictions to fit in somewhere. You know, Paul says, these guys who were influential, like, he said, what they were makes no difference to me. They added nothing to me, okay? Sometimes you and I are easily duped. We're easily uh, persuaded by people who seem to be influential. So we'll change the way we dress. We'll change the way we talk. We'll change the way we, you know, we'll change what we watch or what we read, okay? Uh, Don't be fooled into thinking, well, I've got to look this way, act this way, and then I'll be in the, even if it's a church crowd, right? I think that's what he's warning against here. That's how we can preserve the truth of the gospel. The, The next word, the next, and there's not a blank for this, it's not mentioned here, but the big word there, warning against antinomianism. That just means like, if we're, if we're going to say, okay, don't be legalistic, sometimes we might think, well, I've got the freedom to do whatever I want if I'm a believer. Is that true? No, it's not. So, so don't go against the law so much that you're not obeying Christ at all. Okay? Avoid both extre- extremes. We're not legalistic, but we're not against the law either. Okay, third characteristic. Here's what we want to do. We want to be those who are offering fellowship to others entrusted with the gospel. Offering fellowship to others entrusted with the gospel. Let's look at this starting in verse 7. He writes, On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Okay? What was it that caused these church leaders to extend the hand of fellowship to Paul? What was it that, they, that caused them to say, hey, you really are one of us? It was his belief in the gospel, right? It wasn't, wasn't anything other than uh, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel just as they had been. So they offered fellowship to Paul. Did Paul have the same background that they did? Not really. Uh, in fact, in a lot of ways it was quite different, wasn't it? So, but, but they saw that, his, that he really belonged. They saw his gospel was genuine and they accepted him. Paul's gifts were different, Paul's experiences were different, especially than Peter's. What was the main difference, by the way? Where who was Paul going to minister to? Yeah, to the Gentiles and who is Peter going to minister to? To the Jews, okay? So their main one of their main differences is who they're going to minister among. Okay? That's a that's a big difference. All right? That might be the difference between you and I saying, you know, I'm going to go I'm going to go uh, live and work and serve among these who have these false religious beliefs, and you're going to go serve where there really are no religious beliefs at all. We've got different audiences, but our our goal is the same. We're trying to reach them for Christ, okay? Why do we want to offer this fellowship? Two reasons. you got them there in your notes. Because the same God works through these different ministries. That's what Paul says. The same... The one, he who worked through Peter for his ministry worked also through me for mine. So God, God is the one who gives gifts, who gives these experiences. He doesn't give them accidentally or randomly. He gives them on purpose. And here's the second reason. Because more people can be reached. More people can be reached. Think about this, guys. You all are around people that I'm not around. You can reach them way better than I can. And I'm around people that you're not around. And I need to take responsibility to try to reach them. But we're on the same team, aren't we? Like the goal is the same. So, so one way we might be able to work together at this, you might have unbelieving friends, family, neighbors, teammates, co-workers that you could invite to a service like this. And that way we're, we're tag-teaming it, aren't we? We're working at it together, okay? We offer fellowship. We're, we're all entrusted with the gospel. Guys, there are... Lots of other good churches in this area, and guess what? Not all of them are Baptist churches, right? So we have the same goal as anyone else who believes the gospel. If they're entrusted with it and so are we, we've got the same goal. We fellowship with those who are entrusted with the gospel. Two more. Number four, the fourth characteristic is those being eager to remember the poor as a portrayal of the gospel. Being eager to remember the poor. Verse 10, it almost sounds like a tack-on, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So it maybe kind of is a tack-on, but it's still foundational. Now, how does ministry to the poor help to portray the gospel? Like whose model, whose example would we, follow, would we be following if we minister to the poor? Jesus did this all the time, didn't he? So that would be one way. Here's the other thing, by the way. If we show compassion... For those who are the outcast of our society, all right, so, so poor people, unwanted people, if we show compassion for them, aren't we displaying what God did for us when we were outcasts? So think about it. None of us were born in God's family. All of us were outside the family of God. We were far from Him and He drew near to us. And He offered for us what we could never achieve on our own. He stooped very low to lift us up, didn't He? Through His life and death and resurrection on our behalf. And when we stoop low to help others who can't help themselves, guess what? We're showing that same kind of compassion that God, that God did for us. We're putting the gospel on display. So that would be a characteristic, I think, of what it means to be driven by the gospel, to Portray it in our actions. Here's number five, fifth characteristic. Confronting fellow believers whose conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. This might be the hardest one. Confronting fellow believers whose conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. All right, Let's read this last paragraph here, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, remember that's Peter, came to Antioch, so they're in a different city now, Antioch, not Jerusalem, I opposed him to his face, Paul says. Why? Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right, let's paraphrase what, what's going on there. Um, we, just, we just talked about how Gentiles and Jews all come to Christ the same way, right? Regardless of your uh, ethnicity, your background, okay? All of us, if we're going to come to Christ, guys, we come the same way, okay? Now, Peter's a Jew, Jews in, uh, before Christ really had no dealings with Gentiles, did they? They're completely separate. But now that Gentiles are being brought in, non-Jewish people are being brought in, there's fellowship there, right? And Peter apparently at one time was having lunch with these Gentile people. That's great. Except for the time when Peter said, I'm not eating with you guys. I'm not having fellowship with you guys. And he did so apparently because he feared the Jewish leaders who, were, who still thought that you should stay separate from these Gentile people. So think about that. He, he, is, he is avoiding interaction with these brothers in Christ just because they're of a different race. Now, again, understand the context here. Paul had had previously to go with Peter, we just read about it, to make sure, hey Peter, am I, am I getting this gospel thing right? And Peter said, yeah, we're brothers, you know. I'll go to the Jews, you go to the Gentiles. That's great. And now Paul, who at one time had to get approval from Peter, is going to Peter and saying, you have messed up. You have excluded those whom God has included. And Paul had to confront. Does that take some boldness to confront somebody who you know is in sin? Takes a lot, right? Does it take humility... To be the one confronted and then admit, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm in the wrong. Yeah, and I think Peter displayed that humility. Uh, we, we read about some of that in his own writings later. So sometimes we have to be the ones to confront. Sometimes we have to go to brothers and sisters and say, look, what you're doing is not in step with the gospel you claim to believe. And sometimes some, we need other people to do that for us. And, and when that happens, we need to respond humbly and, and admit where we're wrong. Okay, Those are the characteristics of what it looks like for us not just to be associated with the gospel but for it to actually drive our actions and our words and our lives and our time together like this to make sure that it's the focus and, and that, that it's, the, it's the acting agency and we're the ones in submission. So let's, let's see if we can model these characteristics. Let's pray that we do. So Father, these are important lessons for us to get a hold of, and thank you for the, the way that these things are written out for us in Scripture to learn from others' examples. Um, Lord, the scenarios might be different, and the times and places might be different, but Lord, really, we face a lot of these same challenges today about, uh, Lord, we need to make sure we get the gospel right. Help us to continually rehearse it with others. Um, Help us to not shy away from confronting one another when we're not in step with the gospel. Lord, help us to remember the poor, to look out for those who who would otherwise be outcast by by our society. And let us show them the love that that God through Christ has shown to us. And Lord, let all these things be a display of your truth uh, for your glory and not for our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.